Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man, DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. My Robert, I rise by, and on my Uwego. We invading airwaves. Cool. We're everywhere, everything airwaves. Hold up, why them haters mad? Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody! Yes, y'all, yes, y'all. Tell a friend and tell a friend that we are back on the air. Once again, it is your man, DM Cool, and this is Cool Radio. Uh, welcome back to the show, my guys and my girls. Um, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. Uh, man, I can't even remember the last time we did an episode, for, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, but straight up, your boy had to live his life. That's that's the only way I can, I can put it. Your boy had to live his life. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well... Apart from just, you know, regular day-to-day stuff that I partake on a regular basis. Um, I went on vacation. Like, I'm not just talking about, like, a staycation or, you know, I just stay around the house and just, you know, muddle around and do stuff. Nah, nah. I actually went on vacation. I had a plane ticket and I took my ass to Barbados. Or as it once used to be called, Los Barbados. But nonetheless, I went to Barbados for about three weeks. Um, Some of y'all may already know. As per my uh, pictures and videos that I post on social media, at Cool for Thought on Instagram. Um, and yeah, honestly, I needed it. I needed it. Uh, it was great. Uh, I got to check out a country that I'd never seen before. Mind you, I've rarely been to any other countries. I've been to America, and I've technically been to England, but literally I was only two years old when that happened. So I have no recollection of that experience whatsoever. So for me, that doesn't really count in terms of experiences. But if you want to say that I've traveled somewhere, then sure, technically you can say that, but I barely count. I put an asterisk on it like most people do when it comes to the NBA bubble back in 2020. But yeah, is this was long overdue. Went with my dad, went with my sister. We went to go visit uh, family friends of ours that who I basically consider family at this point. That's uncle and that's auntie right there as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, it was great. It was great. Uh, that was definitely the peak of my summer. Definitely the highlight of it for sure. Um, the summer in Southern Ontario in terms of the weather, I liked it. I mean, it was roughly around 25 degrees with like a little bit of a breeze here and there. That's like my sweet spot. But it was also raining a lot. Uh, in Southern Ontario, so that kind of took away from the summer vibes. Um, but to be fair, it was also raining in Barbados as well because it was their rainy season when we went. Uh, so yeah, definitely had to experience some of the uh, showers, but it did make it easier to have like rest and recovery days after like three, four days of like sightseeing and partying and everything in between. But overall, it was a great experience. I would definitely go again. Uh, don't think I'll be going next year. I have uh, other travel plans in mind for that. Hey. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, it was a great trip. I'm glad I went on there. Uh, so fast forward, when I got back home, that's when the shit really started to start. Um, long story short, I got sick. Literally like a 
day, like a full 24 hours after we landed, I got sick. I caught a cold and I was trying to deny it. I'm like, yo, did I catch a cold? And then like the next day, I kind of felt like that gravelly feeling at the back of my throat. I'm like, ah, shit, I think I caught a cold. So I started loading up on like Neo Citrin and everything in between. And then by like the midway point of me getting sick, that I think that was like a Wednesday. Um, yeah, I really started to feel it. And I was like, ah, oh, crap, here we freaking go. And not only that, but like, that same day, the phone I had, it just completely crapped out on me. I'm like, what the hell? What is going on? What? Not now. But in hindsight, I'm glad that it happened at that moment as opposed to when I was on the trip. Because I took a ton of photos and videos. Mind you, I sent everything up to the cloud, so I'm good. But nonetheless, what if my phone crapped out on me on like the final day of me being in Barbados? We went to like a bird sanctuary and like a cave and everything in between. And I took so many great photos and videos. And I can only imagine what would have happened if my phone had crapped out on me right there and then. I would have been pissed. So it's better that it happened at home than, you know, overseas. And, you know, I was able to find myself a good phone uh, in the meantime. Well, not in the meantime, but like to, you know, replace it. I had to use my old phone as a burner phone. Mind you, I never fixed the screen on this, so it looked like some cracked out drug dealer phone uh but yeah i was able to get a new one in the process you know shout out to the prime um and you know nothing it's not even brand new i got myself an iphone 12 pro uh and you already know how the iphones do they stick on like one model and they only make like minor improvements to said model for like five six years until they come up with something brand making new so i knew i wasn't missing out if i was gonna buy the 13 or the 14 or i think they're on the 15 right now that just came out so anyways that happened what a week that was and i think that was like the final week of no that was like the third week of august and the fourth week i was like okay now i'm slowly getting back into my routine you know um going to the gym a little bit i didn't really go to the gym that much that that second week i was back just because i was still recovering from my uh sickness or whatever um and then after that September hit, so you already know that means birthday weekend, Labor Day weekend. Every year, I celebrate my birthday on Labor Day weekend, whether it's on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or even Labor Day itself on the Monday. But nonetheless, my Labor Day weekend birthday was one of the best birthdays I've had in a very long time. So, shouts to the people who were there who made it special. You already know who you are. Um, and yeah, by 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 that time, once that birthday weekend hit, I got back to my routine. I was back on my grind. I was, you know, going to the gym on my, you know, regular basis, just like four to five days a week. Um, yeah, yeah, just living life, living life. That, that, that's all I can say. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm here now. We still are in September as of this recording. And there is a lot of things that happen within the world of hip hop, sports, entertainment and everything in between. So I will not keep you guys waiting any longer. That being said, however, we're not going to do things how we normally do with Cool Radio when it comes to the segments and everything in between. So if you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. Y'all put a really good episode to start listening to. Uh, but for those of you all who are long-time listeners who kind of already know what it's like, um, we're going to do things a bit differently this time around, just for today's episode. And then, you know, uh, in the future, we'll get back to the regular scheme of things. But like I said before, there's a bunch of things that happened in between the last episode up until this episode that I really want to get into. Um, not everything, of course, but there are a few things. Uh, but let me just give you guys a breakdown of what to expect on today's episode. So I'm going to open things off with this 
discourse, if you will, if I'm putting it lightly, but this discourse between American NBA players and everyone else when it comes to crowning a team as a quote-unquote world champion. So I have a lot of thoughts to express on that. So there's that. We're going to be talking about Lizzo. <laughs> oh, the chickens have come to roost on this one. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to talk about her. Um, you already know what I'm talking about when it comes to Lizzo. So no, no, no further explanation needed. Um, and then the next part, we're going to talk about Nas and his latest release, Magic Part 3, as well as just kind of like a retrospective of what he's done over the last three years and what have you. So it's not going to be a full-out review of Magic 3. Just, I'm going to give you my light thoughts on it because I've only given it one listen, but just more so just a retrospective of like what we've come to witness from Nas during this uh, three-year stretch of his career thus far. And then the final topic we're going to, we're going to get to on today's episode Steve Harvey and his wife cheating on him. Oh, the chickens have come to roost on this one as well. So we are definitely, definitely, definitely going to get into a lot of shit. Uh, Before we get into these four main topics for today's episode, just want to say a few quick things. First of all, big shouts to my man, uh, Three Faces of Jamal. Uh, He is a podcaster. Uh, in this podcast universe make sure you go check him out on soundcloud at three faces of jamal he has a dope podcast that he uh had me as a guest on uh last weekend i believe and it is called the mid-card mess where we're talking about anything and everything wrestling wrestling for all the people who are familiar uh yeah but anyone who knows me knows i'm a massive wrestling fan we got to chop it up on some wrestling tip so if you guys are fans of wrestling make sure you go check out that episode with him and i and also go check him out as well on soundcloud so shout out to my man three faces of jamal and also really want to mention this real quick um If you guys have not seen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, go see it right now. It's available on rental, I believe. I think if you have Paramount Plus, it's available through there as well. Uh, Prime may have it. But anyways, go check that out. It was so much fun. Um, I can give like a full detailed review breakdown on it if I wanted to. But there's so much that I wanted to address on today's episode. So I may have to leave that for another episode if possible. But all I will say is this. Mutant Mayhem is the best Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie since the very first one in 1990. So it's not the best, but it's the best one since then. I still hold that TMNT 1990s movie as the pinnacle of TMNT movies. But this one, it's close. It is very close. It is very close, and I'm very curious to see how the sequel will pan out. But nonetheless, please go see it. Oh, and by the way, the soundtrack is fire. Fire. Fire bon fire. <laughs> it's great. Go see it. All right, guys. Enough of the talking. Enough of the pleasantries. Let's get into it. First topic of the day. NBA and their, let's just say, American superiority. Let's get it. Right before I get into this topic, I just want to say this. To all my American listeners and fans of Cool Radio, just know I am not taking shots at y'all whatsoever. I would never dare to do such a thing. 
I've interacted with, with, with so many of y'all on so many different occasions. Y'all are cool in my book. Y'all are welcome to the, to the Canadian cookout anytime you want. Your boy got you. You want some, you want some jerk chicken? I got you. You want some, you, you want some suya beef? Got you. Jollof rice? Got you. You already know what it is. I got y'all. All right. I just want to say that. I just want to put that out there. Just want to put that out there because I'm about to go on this topic. But nonetheless, with regards to this uh, international debate happening between NBA players, fans, media versus people who have a more international perspective, whether or not they are or are not from America. Um, over the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of discourse and it sort of started with the uh, sprinter known as Noah Lyles. Now, prior to this, I had never heard Noah Lyles before, but he had definitely made some noise, not just because of his impressive showing at a recent event, um, but because of the comments that he made after said event. So I'm paraphrasing, mind you, but he generally went on to say uh, that he gets disheartened when he hears uh, NBA teams refer to themselves as the world champions whenever they win the NBA Finals trophy. Because from his perspective, he and other athletes are representing the USA whenever they perform at their events, whether it's track and field or anything of the sort. Because they literally are representing USA, whereas when it comes to the NBA players, they're only representing either their city or their state, depending on what team they play for. So, for example, the Denver Nuggets are the latest team to win the NBA championship. They represent Denver, despite the fact that the best player on their team and arguably the best player in the NBA is of international descent by way of Serbia. It doesn't make them world champions. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can even go on and say that despite the fact that the Raptors, who are the lone Canadian franchise on the team, who had a plethora of players varying from different diasporas across the world, they are still based in the NBA, which I will get to in a second. It does not make them world champions. Yes, I know it says on their merch, world champions, which is a nice touch, cool. But objectively speaking, they are not, in fact, world champions. They are the champions of a league that is based in the United States. So with that being said, a lot of players, a lot of fans, and a lot of media took uh, they took offense. It sounded like they took offense to what Noah Lyles was saying. Um, a lot of NBA players spoke out on it. Uh, players like Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Austin Rivers. Don't know why he has a opinion on it, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> I think Bradley Beal spoke on it. Damian Lillard spoke on it, which that kind of aggravated me because he's actually one of my favorite players. Um Draymond Green uh, commented on it and so many more. And then, of course, you have your loudmouth uh, bloviators like Stephen A. Smith who spoke out on it as well. And the thing that really annoyed me the most is that a lot of these people who were speaking out in it against the opinion of Noah Lyles, they sounded so confident in what they were saying. And, and like one of the, the more common comments that I heard with regards to... um what Noah was saying was that because the NBA has the best players in the world and some of the best international players play in the NBA, that means that the, that whoever wins the NBA championship is, has the right to be called the NBA world champion. <sighs> okay. 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 All right. So this is my thing right here. 
Now, again, I'm only going at the Americans who have this viewpoint, not necessarily Americans in general, because that would be unfair of me to put all Americans in the bubble. But these are the type of Americans, whether or not they are a vocal minority, these are the ones who live in a bubble. So what I mean by that is this. There are Americans, again, not all, some, but there are some Americans who do not pay attention to what's going on outside of their country to the point where if there is something going on, they either don't care or if the rest of the world is focusing on it and it becomes a big thing, then they try to, you know, crash the party and, and, and try to be a gatekeeper of sorts. And this is one of those examples, unfortunately. I mean, I can think about so many times outside of sports where, you know, Americans were trying to, you know, jump into the party and see what was going on. I mean, prime example, Amy Winehouse had a full-out career in the UK for so long, and it wasn't until, you know, Back to Black came out, and then the rehab record came out, and everyone was like, oh my god, Amy Winehouse, Amy Winehouse. Same thing with Adele, you can make the exact same argument with Adele. She was killing it in the UK for so many years, and then, you know, she eventually blows up in America, it's like, oh my god, Adele, Adele. You can, I can make the same argument about other artists like Burna Boy or, or Wizkid, who are, again, killing it in Nigeria with their music. Their music obviously traveled into the UK because there are so many expats that go from between Nigeria to um, to to the UK, for example. That's popping. And then only within like I would say like the last I would say the last three years in particular, you could make an argument since twenty sixteen, but I'm gonna say the last three, uh, where you've now heard Afrobeats all over the place in America, basically. But going back to the NBA, this is what I wanted to say. So with regards to the NBA we have to remember, and I feel like these players who are commenting on it, as well as these media people, Stephen A. I'm, I mean, I'm not shocked he was commenting on it because he's like the biggest xenophobe on TV, in my opinion, when it comes to sports. Um, we have to remember one thing, and one thing only that is paramount above all, and that is this. The NBA, the N in NBA stands for National 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 basketball association the operative word in case you didn't notice is national not international no 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 national meaning that they are only focused in on one country technically two if you want to count the toronto raptors being in canada but nonetheless one country let's be honest okay one country so if you are the champion of the nba then it means that you are the champion within the u.s basically that's all it means it doesn't matter how many talented players that we have in the NBA who are from overseas. It doesn't matter. Because even when people want to bring up the likes of Jokic or Giannis, for example, they are like 1% of the talent, that, that of like the top tier talent that comes from, from Europe. And let's make things clear, if, especially if we're talking about those two players in particular. Giannis was like, the was like a middle of the first round pick in the draft back in what 2012 i believe same draft as damian lillard if i'm not mistaken or no 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 sorry i think he was in the 2013 draft actually anyways that's besides the point 
He was a middle of the pack first round pick and he was a project. We didn't know what to make of him. We just knew that he was long and gangly and athletic. And we did not know that he was going to turn into arguably the best player of this of this current generation right now. We didn't know that. We did not know that. And as for Nikola Jokic, not only was this man drafted in the second round of the NBA draft, but when he was drafted, they didn't even show him on TV. A McDonald's commercial was being shown as he was drafted. So a lot of these people who want to use Jokic and Giannis in particular as their examples of, oh, the best talent come here to play. Well, first of all, coming out of you know whatever club teams that they were playing for in their respective homelands, no one was looking at them as like the next big thing in the NBA. And even when they are the biggest thing in the NBA, a lot of you people like to shit and clown on him. I mean, how many times did Giannis get teased for not having a bag, so to speak, not being able to shoot jumpers or anything in between? How many times did Jokic get so much criticism from players and fans and mainstream media members alike, all because of the fact that he was a legitimate candidate for winning a regular season MVP award for the third straight year in a row. And some of y'all have the nerve, the gall, the audacity, and the gumption to say that it would have been racist of the media panels to vote for him to be MVP for the third straight year in a row. But now you guys want to want 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 to sing your praises and be like, oh, well, the best talent playing here. See, look at Giannis. Look at Jokic. No, 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 no. Keep that same energy and stay on that side of the fence if you are really that strong of a naysayer against the likes of him. Or of them, rather. And not only that, but we have to keep in mind that when it comes to the best talent in the world, while a lot of the best talent in the world does play in the NBA, it's not as if the best players outside of the United States are playing in the NBA. For all we know, there are probably a a plethora of super talented players that play in countries in Europe and Africa and Asia and wherever. And they don't happen to be here for whatever reason. Hell, arguably the best player in the history of basketball that played in the NBA way too late in his career, in my opinion, is arguably Arvita Sabonis. Like, if Arvita Sabonis was playing in the NBA during his prime, he may be a lot higher on the pantheon of NBA centers. He came past his prime when his when he was going into full dad body mode and everything like that. But nowadays, fast forward, Jokic is probably like the present day version of Arvita Sabonis, except with a freaking Ferrari engine in, 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 in his back pocket. I'm not talking about in terms of speed, but just in terms of how he plays, in terms of like the level and stuff like that. I just don't like a lot of people's arguments with regards to their convenience of said arguments when it comes to propping up these international players. Because you shit on them one second, but then you prop them up the next second if it suits your narrative. And going back to the original point that I was making, when it comes to the amount of international talents that's across the world, we got a grand example of how much talent is out there when we were watching the FIBA World Cup in late August, early September. Germany was the country that won it. Dennis Schroeder was the tournament MVP. Now, a little bit of a bias on my part, had Canada won that, 
it would have been SGA. 1,000% all the way. Shea Gilgis Alexander put on for Canada and put on for the tournament as a whole. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. Uh, Dennis Schroeder was the tournament MVP. And a lot of people need to realize that, you know, while the NBA is the epicenter of the basketball universe, it's not the end-all be-all and it's not the only form of basketball that's being played. And... There are so many reasons as to why America did not succeed in this year's tournament. That can take place on a different podcast on another day. But I think one of the things that they realized that was going to be a bit more difficult this time around were the rules. Now, the rules that are, that are played within the rest of the FIBA governing body are, are almost different or different to a certain extent in the NBA that the play styles that you see in the NBA, you're not going to see in, the Euro, in, in, in like Europe or Africa or anything like that. So, for example, in the NBA, there's a lot of foul baiting. There's a lot of foul baiting, and the rules are catered towards offense because offense is what drives up revenue and ratings and everything in between. Whereas in European basketball, you can get a bit more physical and still get away with certain things. And I don't think NBA players who played for Team USA were ready for that. They just weren't. They weren't. And they just weren't ready in general. So, for me, when it comes to wanting to be known as the world champions, if you really want to go that route, there's two routes you can go. Either international competition, which is, you know, FIBA and, and the Olympics, which I'll get to in a second because there's one point that I want, that I want to bring up. Um, or if we're just talking about NBA club teams and franchises, what have you, and you want your franchise, whether it's the Nuggets or the Lakers or whomever, you want that franchise to be known as the best basketball club in the world, just do what they do with all the uh, football leagues around the world and hold a UEFA tournament. Do a UEFA Champions League style where the best teams in all the other leagues in in Europe and, and in the world in general, whether it's La Liga, Serie A, English Premier League, wherever, Get the best teams from those respective leagues, put them in a tournament, and then whoever comes out on top of that tournament can and will be definitively known as the world champions. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. So let's say the Nuggets, you know, who are the champions of the NBA, they get put into this tournament and they play other teams like like the Gondwan Sharks, and if I mispronounce it, I apologize. Um, or they want to play against uh, uh, the, uh, what's that team? Uh, that team from Spain, what's it called? Uh, Barcelona or whatever, right? Um, either way, if you want to play against those international teams in a tournament, in a grand worldwide tournament, and you come out on top of that tournament, then the Denver Nuggets or whichever team from the NBA that wins the championship can definitively say that they are the champions of the world. It won't be the NBA champions of the world, but you can say that you're the champions of the world. You can say that you're the NBA champions and the champions of the world if you win that tournament. That's what it comes down to. And speaking of which, when it comes to America, the American basketball teams, I'll say this, and this gets really annoying year after year. So America not only lost in this tournament, but they didn't even medal, which I predicted. I when I looked at that roster, I'm like, yeah, they are not finishing with a medal at all. It's not happening. That being said, 
after the tournament is all said and done with, LeBron James comes out and says, oh, uh, next year in the Olympics, you know, we're, we're going to bring the team back and we're, we're going to reclaim gold. And this is what I hate about the Americans. Some Americans. Sorry, I had to think about that for a second. <laughs> this is what I hate, though. The arrogance of not wanting to play in the FIBA tournament. And it could be for, you know, contractual reasons, whatever the case may be. But some players just don't want to play because they don't give a damn. But then when when their C team loses, and I'm sorry, but this is not a B team. This, this wasn't even a B team. This was a C team. There was only like two or three players on this team that were all-stars. And even then, they weren't even perennial. They were like one or two-time all-stars at best. But when stuff like this happens and the C team plays, you know, all the other teams in, in, in the tournament, they lose. Then you got, got, you got guys like LeBron saying, oh, we're going to come back. We're going to come back. All this other jazz. And it's so annoying because you, it, it, it makes you realize that they take it for granted. So, for example, 1992 Dream Team, we already know what that team is, right? With Magic, Bird, Jordan. I mean, just those three alone, regardless of where Magic and, and, and uh, Bird were at in their careers, it doesn't matter. You had those three on your team alongside the likes of a Carl Malone, of of a, of a David Robinson, of a Patrick Ewing, Charles Barkley, Clyde Drexler, John Stockton, and so many other players to name in between. They they clean up house. We know this. And then you had Dream Team 2.0 once again in Atlanta in 1996, where you can make the argument that Russia wasn't as good, but it was still formidable. Like you still had Penny Hardway. You had Shaq. You had Akeem Olajuwon, all right? Like, that's all you need at that point, okay? The 1994 team, I can't even remember who, exactly who was on that team. I know Derek Coleman was one of those players. I feel like Reggie was on that team. I could be wrong. Pardon me. Fun fact, though, the first time I ever watched a live basketball game was when they had an exhibition game between USA and, and Brazil at the Sky Dome back in 1994. That was the first time I ever watched a live professional basketball game. Anyways, let's keep it moving. Um, 2000, Sydney Olympics. That's the solid players on that team. They had Gary Payton, they had Jason Kidd, Vin Baker, Kevin Garnett, Vince Carter, of course. We know the kind of nasty dunk he pulled off at, at, at that year's Olympics. It was great. And then 2002 is where the fall off began. In 2002, they lost against Argentina at the FIBA, at the FIBA World Cup. And in 2004, they... Lost in Sydney. I don't. I can't even remember if they, if they won a medal or not. Maybe a bronze, but that's as far as they went. If if memory serves me. And then 06, they lost again in um in uh, FIBA. And then 08 is when they had the redeem team. So this is when you now had close to a prime LeBron James, or at least ascending into his prime. You had Dwayne Wade. You had Chris Bosh. You had Kobe Bryant, who had never played for Team America before. Um, you had uh, Chris Paul, prime Dwight Howard. He was definitely in his prime this year. Um, and then you had some solid role players like Michael Red and Andre Iguodala. Uh, I think Tayshaun Prince may have been on this team. Uh, but yeah, you had a solid mixture of like prime A1 NBA players as well as your role players. That was a solid team. And then they ran it back again in 2012. Um, I think they added KD to the team this time. Westbrook may have been on the team. I can't remember. I know Anthony Davis was on the team fresh off the NBA draft. Uh, but they had some solid players on that team. And then 2016 comes around. 
it wasn't their best roster. It was like their B team for the most part, with the exception of Kevin Durant. But they still did pretty well. And then what 2019 happened? I honestly I don't even know what happened in 2019 because that was the same year that the Raptors won the championship, and I was just on a different wave back then, so I didn't give a shit what was happening in the outside world, uh, outside of the Toronto Raptors winning. So, but suffice to say, they didn't do well in that tournament. And then you had the quote unquote 2020 Olympics, which was actually 2021. Uh, but nonetheless, you had that team, which honestly I didn't think that team was that special either. Like you had a veteran KD at the time, you had Devin Booker. I think Dane was on that team, so not too bad. Um, Tatum was on that team as well. But it just kind of goes back to the point of where these players like to pick and choose when they want to care about international competition. I feel like this is one of those moments. And it's just really annoying because you do have the wealth of talent from a worldwide perspective, yet you take it for granted. And then when you have international players coming into the league, whether it's a a Jokic or a Giannis or a Luka, you criticize these players, you shit on them because they don't play your style or they're not part of your little AAU clicky clicky things that you have that you guys got going on. And then like you see all the shade being thrown left, right, and center at players like Giannis, at players like Jokic, who all they want to do is work hard and create a better life for themselves. And it really makes a lot of these players, these American players, as well as these mainstream media heads like a Stephen A. Smith, look like the biggest giant xenophobes. Like these guys literally sound like the people like the rednecks, for example, who are all like, oh, they're taking our jobs they're taking our jobs. They literally sound like rednecks. They come off as rednecks. Stephen A., Kendrick Perkins, Gilbert Arenas, all these people who are who are pretty popular in the whole you know, uh, NBA news sphere, whatever you want to call it. They just sound like hardcore rednecks. And it's pretty ironic and disappointing at the same time. The fact that you have visible minorities who are showing some sort of false sense of entitlement over certain liberties. And they are the same people who get mad at white people, for example, like racist white people specifically, who make those comments towards them about, oh, they're taking our jobs and this and that and the third. But now you're doing it to international players, regardless if they're black or not. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's ironic. And it's also disheartening and it's kind of sickening as well. So to kind of wrap this topic up, when it comes to the NBA, you are not the world champions. I'm sorry, you're not. You are the champions of the National Basketball Association. So in other words, you are the best team in America. You're the best club team in America. Out of the 29 teams that are situated in the United States, you are the best club team. Yes, there is a team in Toronto. We know this, but they're still part of the National Basketball Association. They get taxed in Canadian and American dollars, basically. So yeah, no, it doesn't count as you know being the best in the world or anything of that sort. Now, the Raptors could brag in 2019 that they are the best team in in america even though they're a canadian based team which kind of adds insult to injury which i kind of love from a petty perspective but beyond that if you're a team based in america whether you're representing a city or a state you are the best team from that city or state and are subsequently the best team in america because the nba resides in america 
that's all this that's all it's ever going to be that's it point blank period there should be no discourse about this there should be no one bitching and crying and moaning and complaining about this it is what it is if you want international bragging rights then tell the best of your best to come out to the olympics or to fiba especially and compete in those world cups it's as simple as that obviously there is no uefa style champions league for every uh basketball league that that's under the governing body of, of fiba but if there was, then I would say that would be an also that would also be another alternative as to prove that you're the best. But until that happens, stick with your national title being the best in America and leave it at that. And one other thing, just because you're the best in America doesn't mean you're the best in the world. Let's keep that in mind. You want to prove that? I just gave you alternatives. But until then, take your championships for what it's worth as a national title and leave it at that. But hey, I could be completely wrong about this. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Either way, share me your thoughts and let me know because I'd be curious to know. All right, so let's keep it moving with Lizzo. So Lizzo, a few weeks ago, got into a lot of trouble with a lot of uh, artists who used to work with her. When I'm talking about artists, I'm talking about uh, live performers, like dancers and stuff like that. And as well as a uh, background vocalist, if I'm, not, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, pardon me. And a lot of them came out and were reportedly saying that Lizzo, and I'm paraphrasing, mind you, uh, that Lizzo forced them to be overweight as well as forced them to ingest Pardon me, to ingest certain objects of a sexual nature into their mouths as well as into their genital regions as well. Forced them to do this uh, against their own will. And if they didn't comply, then they would be fired. And so it wasn't just one person who came out and said this, it was multiple people. So I find that very ironic coming from Lizzo of all people seeing how she has become essentially the poster child for the quote-unquote body positivity movement. So before I go in on Lizzo, because I've got a mouthful of things to say to her, or about her rather, let me talk about this whole body body positivity movement real quick. So in 2016, I've noticed since then that there have been so many movements that comprise of marginalized sections of society who feel as though they've never consistently had a voice. But from 2016 and onward, they've had more of a voice. But then that's led to things like the quote-unquote woke movements and the PC movements. And it's forced everyone to be very PC as well. It's forced everyone to basically be inclusive, but like, Forcing people to be inclusive is essentially the antithesis of what inclusion means. And in my personal opinion, I'm sure a lot of people share the same sentiment. When it comes to the body positivity movement, they are one of those people or sorry, they are one of those movements that force inclusivity onto others. And if people aren't down with it, then they basically get labeled some sort of phobic moniker. And I've noticed this for the last seven years now. And I'm, well, not glad in terms of what's happened to these performers. But 
I'm at least glad that they're coming out and saying these things about Lizzo because if Lizzo of all people is the one who made them do these heinous things, then it really says a lot about the hypocrisy of the body positivity movement. So right off the bat, let me just say this. The way the body positivity movement is constructed, to me, it's pure hypocrisy. It's pure hypocrisy. Because to me, on its surface, if we're out here talking about body positivity, then it means it means that we should be celebrating all body types, regardless of what those body types are, as well as regardless of gender and race. That's what it comes down to, or that's what it should come down to if we're talking about body positivity. But in reality, body positivity only favors fat women. I, I said it. It only favors fat women. Sometimes they even cater to more often than any other fat black women. And that's not what body positivity should be if that's what you want to name it. If you want to name it, you know, voluptuous positivity, then just do that. Just do that if you want to name it that. But body positivity on its face, on its surface, should mean that you're celebrating the 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 the, the beauty in all body types, regardless of how of how big or how thin somebody is, regardless of their male or female, regardless of what the race is. That's what it should be. But it hasn't been that. It's only been it's only been seen as some as some marketing tool and propaganda tool to to prop up uh, bigger women, essentially. And I find that, you know, maybe it could be a vocal minority of people within this movement who celebrate this movement, but I feel as though they act like gatekeepers towards other people who may not fit their size. And I get it. You want to, it comes off as a revenge tool for all the slim people or for for all the athletic people who may have made fun of the big people in the past. But at the end of the day, if you are talking about quote unquote body positivity, but then you're acting like a gatekeeper, then really you are no different from the people that bullied you in the past about your weight. You are now the other side of the same coin as they are. You're both, you know, spewing out the same level of vitriol, but from different perspectives. And that makes you no better. In fact, it makes you a hypocrite. Not giving a pass to the people who made fun of you in the past before, but for you to do the exact same thing now, just so you can exercise the power that was exercised onto you, it makes you a hypocrite. It legit makes you a hypocrite. And I think that's kind of like the irony of of this whole entire situation. And so for me, it's, it's... To me, it's not only that, but it's the fact that there are a lot of people within this movement who will use body positivity as a way to neglect their terrible eating habits. So if you have a if you have a woman who's like five foot five and she's like two hundred and fifty pounds, for example, nowadays you can't even like respectfully and objectively say, "Hey, listen, like you might need to watch your weight a little bit. Like you might need to change up your eating habits." So that you can have a longer, fruitful life. If even even if you break it down like that, you get called a fat shamer, or you get called fat phobic, or whatever. All these things just to deter those people away from actually being responsible about their weight and doing something about it. Again, no one is out here saying that you have to be a fitness model or a runway model or or, or anything like that. Just manage your weight. That is it. That is all. Just make sure you're you're 
you're doing some sort of exercise to keep your blood to keep the blood flow flowing and to you know keep the heart pumping of course that way you can extend the the years of your life that's it that's it but no we're in this generation now where even if you make a constructive and objective critique on weight management you're fat phobic you're fat shaving and everything in between and it makes no freaking sense and so to me what body positivity, the movement, what that has turned into or morphed into, fast forward into 2023, is I'm a big person. I'm going to continue to live my life as a big person. And, and if anyone wants to say anything about that, then you're just being fat phobic. You should celebrate my body positivity. I'm sorry. It's bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. It sounds to me like nothing more than diffusion of responsibility and benign neglect. That's all it sounds like to me. And when I see a case of someone like Lizzo, for example, oh, she is the preemptive poster child of that benign neglect. I will never forget. What was it? Five years ago, something like that. When she was at a Lakers game sitting courtside, she stood up when they when, you know, the they, they put the camera on her or whatever. She's waving to the people, which is cool, whatever. Celebrity sighting. It, it's a Laker game, so of course you're gonna have celebrity row. But then she turns around and all you see is a cutout of her dress where the ass cheeks are, and she starts twerking. And I'm like, what are you doing? And then when she started receiving backlash for it, she's like, oh, all y'all just mad because I'm a big girl. And if this was Kim Kardashian or Rihanna, y'all wouldn't be saying anything. I'm like, what? First of all, and for those who have known me for a long time, y'all know I have no love in my heart for Rihanna or Kim Kardashian whatsoever. But to their credit, I can definitively say that I have never seen either of those women go to a basketball game of any kind, Lakers, Warriors, whatever. They have never gone to a basketball game where they have worn a cutout of their ass where they're supposed to be clothing and started twerking it and, and busting it open for the cameras to see. They've never done that before. Now, has Rihanna done that at her concerts? I'm sure she has. I've never watched a Rihanna concert, but... I wouldn't be surprised to hear that she has. But guess what? That's her concert. So if you're going to go to a Rihanna concert, then you're going to be prepared to see a lot of cheeks from her or a lot of you know body parts from Rihanna in general. But that's her concert. That's her venue where she can do all those things. So if Lizzo wants to do that at her concert, great. If you pay the price of admission and you see ass cheeks all over the place, you got what you pay for. But no one came to a Lakers game or a basketball game or any kind of sporting event where there are kids to see a girl's ass cheeks cut out. And before anyone tells me, oh, but what about the cheerleaders and the dance team? Listen, miss me with that shit. Because anytime that I've gone to a basketball game, and there's been plenty of times where I've gone to a basketball game, we have never seen the cheerleaders busting it open like it's Freak Nick in Atlanta 1993. We've never seen that. We have never seen that before. Yeah, they'll come in like their their short shorts or maybe like their their leggings or whatever the case may be. But we've never seen dance teams from any NBA team come out with nothing but bare cheeks and thong and start busting it open. We've never seen that. So please miss me with that shit if that was your excuse. And so for like Lizzo to show like all these forms of 
sheer and blatant hypocrisy to me is annoying because you are literally putting yourself in the crosshairs of people's criticisms and then you want to go on social media on your instagram live and you want to cry and shed tears about how oh the internet is so mean it's such a hurtful place well guess what when you do things like that and you use your weight as as a as a, as a form of shielding and plot armor for for any kind of negative criticism you get for your lewd behavior that is what you're going to get it's called backlash so I, I'm not about to feel sorry for her when she's crying in tears, talking about, oh, why is the internet so mean? When you're the one who is instigating and agitating the internet in the first place. And now that this story has come out, where you have forcibly made other women eat so they get bigger, so they look like you, and then you fire them if, they're, if, if their weight does not match yours? Oh, where's the body positivity now? Listen. I can say all these things about, oh, I hope she gets canceled or I hope that's the end of the career. But in the, re in the reality, in the grand scheme of things, it's not the end of her career. I've always said, and it may differ for the exceptions, like an R. Kelly, for example, uh, to this point, to this point, mind you. But I've always said that if you are a recording artist and you do something that's super janky or tacky or questionable above all standards. Whether it's Rick Ross saying, I'm gonna put a Molly in a drink and she didn't even know it. Whether it's Justin Bieber, uh, Bieber, Justin Bieber's lewd behavior from like a few years back. Or if it's someone like Kanye West who basically upstaged Taylor Swift circa 2009. As long as you come out with a hit, no one's gonna give a shit. I think the only time someone kind of got affected by that more or less was Chris Brown when he uh, put his hands on Rihanna, basically. He was still making music. He still had hits coming out, but he never became that mainstream, almost Michael Jack Jackson-esque uh, level star since that moment. He was on a trajectory to that, but then that just derailed him, and he was never the same after that. Still... He's still popular amongst his core fan base, which is the hip-hop and R&B crowd. But it has to be something extreme like that. So, with regards to Lizzo, I don't think this is the end of her. But if this is, at the very least, a reality check, I'm here for it. She's not going to get canceled off of this. Like, re recording artists don't get canceled. Unless if it's something very extreme, like a Chris Brown or like an R. Kelly, for example. But beyond that, they don't get canceled. So, this is not the end of her career, unless if she says otherwise. But I personally don't think that this is the end of her career. But what this should be is a massive, massive reality check. So that she knows that she can't get away with this bullshit. And I think it's up to her fans. And I know this is going to be a hard ask. Because that's like asking Beyonce, Rihanna, and Nicki Minaj fans to do the same. But they got to hold her accountable. They have to hold her her accountable so she's doing things like this again if she's saying lewd comments if she's forcing people to to overeat so that they match her standard of beauty they gotta let her know that she's a hypocritical tyrant at that point like you're alert because you're literally forcing people to be unhealthy with what they eat so again a large ask i know but i would love to see her fans hold her accountable at least at that point, I would know that there's some sort of sanity left in the world if that were to happen. But until then, 
she finds herself in some hot water. Um, I haven't heard any comments from her with regards to these allegations or what have you, which is probably smart because the first thing that you want to do is stay silent and provide whatever evidence you need to your legal team in order for them to prove your innocence. But so far, it's not looking good for her. So I will keep you guys up to date with the story as as more details follow along. Um, and then we will pontificate on this. But until then, Lizzo, get your shit together smarten the fuck up and with regards to this body positivity bullshit movement you guys have been checked now you guys have been checked and you can thank the poster child for this movement (laughs) for putting you guys in this position in the first place but hey maybe i'm being too harsh maybe i'm being fat phobic (laughs) but nonetheless what do you guys think is this the dose of reality that she needs is this the dose of reality that the whole quote-unquote body positivity movement uh, needs? Either way, send me your thoughts, and I would love to know what you guys are thinking. All right, let's get to the next topic now. I want to talk about my man Nas, all right? Nas has been on a wave for the last three years, all right? Three albums, sorry, sorry, huge correction, huge correction. I meant to say six albums in three freaking years. That is amazing. For someone at his age and where he's at in his career, that is amazing. And it's not just like three throwaway albums. It's three, sorry. It's not just six quality, or sorry. Okay, let me take a step back. (laughs) It's not just six throwaway albums in three years. It's six quality albums in three years. And again, for someone who's been in the game for as long as he has now, for about 32 years now, for counting 1991, since that was when he signed his first record deal, that is unprecedented, okay? There's not too many rappers I can think of off the top of my head who are at the age of 50 as of September 15th, sorry, as September 14th of this year, who have not only put out the uh, uh put out albums in general but of this quality and magnitude this is unprecedented and i remember on this show whether it was last year or or whenever when i was talking about how there is room and there is space for an adult contemporary subgenre within hip-hop Nas has proven that he's been proven that for the last three years by putting out six quality albums, one of them, in my opinion, is within his top five of his uh, discography, pardon me, which was King's Disease Part 3. I said, yo, after King's, King's Disease Part 3, I said to myself, this has got to be the peak. There's no way in hell that Nas is going to come out with another album. And mind you, he did. He came out with Magic Part 2 and Magic Part 3. Now, did I enjoy those as much as KD3? No, I did not but they were still very high quality albums. And I think it's just remarkable what he's been able to do alongside Hip Boy. And it's very ironic for me because Nas was the first rapper to break the mold of the one producer on one album trend. Because before Illmatic, everyone had one producer that they they largely worked with. Uh, so, for example, 
Eric, uh, um, Rakim had Eric B that he worked with. Chuck D had the Bomb Squad when when they were all part of the Public Enemy Collective. Uh, Run DMC had Jam Master J as their producer and DJ. Uh, who else? Um, oh, of course, Snoop Dogg had Dr. Dre with you know a little bit of help from uh, the Dog Pound, mainly uh, Daz, but largely Dr. Dre, and so on and so forth. And then Nas just shocks the hip hop world with Illmatic and the rest is history. The fact that he had quality producers on there, whether it be Large Professor, LES, DJ Premier, uh, uh, Pete Rock, and Q-Tip from A Tribe Called Quest. That was unheard of back in 1994. And then from there on, that then became the trend where you had Biggie, you know, having his records produced by Easy Mo B and, and, and a plethora of others on Rain to Die and so on and so forth. And now he kind of brought back that that trend again because of the exceptional work that him and Hit Boy have crafted with, uh, with one another. And what I love the fact of the matter is is the fact that Hit Boy didn't try and make him conform to the sound of today and try to make Nas sound like the 40-something-year-old guy who's trying to sound hip and who's trying to sound like he's he's with the younger crowd or what have you. No, 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 no. He challenged Nas to not only rap over the contemporary stuff, but to put his own spin on it. But he all, but what he also did was he crafted those types of beats as well as mix in some nuances of the sound that Nas has been used to over the course of his career and he found a way to mold them together to make his sound and style a bit more updated but at the same time still sound more current but still make it sound as authentic as it's ever been with regards to Nas and his style and I think that's incredible as far as what they did and what I always kind of look back to is when people would often criticize Nas about his beat selection and how he's terrible at picking beats and what have you. Now, here's my opinion on that. I think from 1994 till 1999, I wholeheartedly disagree with those takes. Because if you look at the caliber of producers that he's had on his albums from 94 to 98... And if you want, we can include group projects on there as well, like The Firm and what have you. Think about who he's had on those projects for producers and production in general. And you tell me where the bad beat was. I'm not going to mention all the beats, but I'm going to mention all the producers that he's had. So, for example, Illmatic, I already mentioned it. LES, Large Professor, Pete Rock, DJ Premier, Q-Tip. Where was the bad beat? Okay, let's go to let's go to it was written real quick. All right, it was written, which is another massive favorite amongst Nas fans and hip hop fans. A lot of people, in fact, debate about whether Ill, it was written was better than Illmatic, but whatever. It teaches tweets their own. Trackmasters were on there. Havoc from Mob Deep was on there. Dr. Dre was on there. Primo was there was on there once again. Where are the bad beats? Tell me. Tell me. All right. Let's go to I Am, the autobiography in 1998. Two years later. Two years later. 
once again, DJ Premier is on there. Dame Grease is on there. And for those of you, who, for those of you who do not know who Dame Grease is, Dame Grease was one of the prime, primary in-house producers for Rough Riders. It was him and it was Swiss Beats. And Dame Grease did a lot of work with DMX. All right. So once again, he had Dame Grease on there. Okay. He had Timberland on there. Okay. Timberland. Track masters were on there once again doing the majority of production. So I ask once again, where are the bad beats? And then we go over to um, Nostradamus, which is largely panned as his worst album. But even if you go back in hindsight and listen to it, it's not as bad of an album as people make it out to be. Is it bad for Nas standards? Debatable. And I guess people will want to hear a bit more from Nas because the album was a bit disjointed in terms of the concept and what have you. But there's a lot of reasons as to why it was, which I can save for another pod. But nonetheless, let's go to the production real quick. Havoc from Mob Deep is on there. Primo, pardon me, is on there. Trackmasters are on there. Timbaland is on there. I remember you, Omi. <laughs> but again, where are the bad beats that's all i ask now here is where things get interesting in my opinion i think this is where the argument for the bad beats really started to come into play and i think it came into play between 2001 i'm not gonna say 2000 because outside of the qb collaboration project he didn't really put out an album back then. But if you want to, again, like I said before, if you want to include collaboration projects, projects, and sure, be my guest. Um, I'm just doing solo albums because solo albums just means that it's one person you're focusing on, which is Nas in this case. Um, but from 2001 till about, I want to say 2006, maybe. You know what? No, I'm not going to say 2006. I'm not going to say 2006 because that's where the change happened. But from 2001 to 2004 in particular, if this is the point where people, because this is where I started hearing it, but I think the conversation changed from not currently having good beats to never having good beats or, or having a bad year for the most part. But I think this is where the argument started because 2001 yet still Matic, which is a classic album of his. And I can definitely say that there are some cool beats on here that catch the ear immediately, like Got Yourself a Gun, One Mic, Second Childhood, in my opinion. Um, and then outside of that, it's more of an acquired taste. So if people want to say that there are bad beats on here, for example, okay, sure, whatever. Fast forward a year later, we get... Um, What's my guy's uh, Godson, Godson, which is a very strong album from him. I don't know if it's a classic, but it's very strong, very strong album from him. There are beats on there that stand out. Made You Look, which is probably a top 10 Nas beat of all time. Um, then you have, then you have, uh, there's another one I had in mind, actually. Oh, I can't. Man, I had another one in mind, actually. It just slipped my mind right now. But anyways, you have Godson. And again, that's another. Oh, um, uh, 
Revolutionary Warfare. That was produced by Alchemist. That was a dope, that was a dope one. Um, but yeah, this is where you start to have that conversation about, oh, does Nas know how to pick good beats? Because for the most part, the beats were, again, an acquired taste. I like them, but a lot of people didn't really like them or they were just kind of meh on it. So it is what it is. And then still, or not still next, sorry. Uh, Streets Disciple comes out in 2004. I think this, in my opinion, was the album that really sparked that conversation. Because this was an album that I don't think a lot of people were ready for in terms of the production. So we're talking about, you know, adult contemporary rap. And I feel like this is the album that Nas really tried to experiment with a more adult contemporary sound. So... For the majority of the album, he had Salam Remy on here. Salam Remy is the in-house producer for Amy Winehouse. Um, and he started working with Salam Remy for Streets Disciple, as well as other albums going forward since then. And so there weren't a whole lot of banging beats on here. Like, um, Streets theme was, was a banger of a beat, definitely. Um, but after that, it was all mainly instrument based like a lot of trumpets a lot of horns uh a lot of classic you know you know cellos and what have you and then you had some beats on there that are just like that had a bit of like an old school tinge to it not really current with what that landscape was back in 2004 which was the crunk or the sped up soul samples and what have you he was really following that trend but Nas isn't someone that follows a trend he just does what he wants so I feel like that was the crux of the argument. But then from when he signed his deal with Def Jam, that's when people were like, oh my God, he finally has good beats. But then there were even still a segment of people who was like, oh, these beats aren't good enough. And it's just like, dude, what do you, like, what do you want from him? What do you want from him? Like, you net, like post-2006, you're getting albums that are, being, that, that are being produced by Dr. Dre, once again, uh, Scott Storch, uh... Uh, Will I Am, who was on fire back in 2006, from 06 to 08, Will I Am was on fire. No one can tell me any different. Um, you had you had those beats from those guys. You had Polo to Don, who was on fire around that time as well, from like 06 to 2010, he was on fire. Um, you had production from you had production from um, um 40, 40 Drake's producer. He had beats from him. So it's like, what are we talking about when it comes to like bad production and what have you? I, it's just an argument that I've never understood. And I think it, my interpretation of the argument should be, well, it's not the fact that he had bad beats. Because again, the, the, an ear for music is very subjective because music in its entirety is subjective. Some people gravitate to some sounds, other people don't, and that's fine. But my personal opinion is that it's not that he had bad beats, it's the fact that he didn't rhyme over a whole lot of commercial beats and that he didn't employ the services of, you know, your major, you know, contemporary beat getters to the likes of a Neptunes or a Kanye West, even though he did get beats from Kanye a few times here and there. And I'm not even talking about the Nazir, but I'm not even talking about that one. I'm talking about like Hip Hop is Dead, for example. Um, but yeah, like he got beats from a whole... It's not like he gets beats from like Just Blaze or Neptunes or or um, a Cool and Dre, for example, on a regular basis. Once in a while he will, but not all the time. There's just certain producers that he feels like working with who give them a particular sound that he's looking for, and that's it. So I guess it's just the whole you don't work with this guy or that guy and all that stuff. And so I feel like he just wanted to qual 
or quell those those narratives to bed by employing the services of hip boy someone who is current in today's generation of producers and he gave Nas a lot of great quality beats now here's my opinion on that and this is going to sound a bit controversial but when it comes to the magic side of things in particular I felt like there were a mixture of beat uh, sorry there were a mixture of beats spread across all three of those albums where Nas sounded like he was rapping over the beats that people often criticize for him having a bad ear for music. Now, that's not me saying that those beats that Hit Boy gave him were bad. They weren't bad at all. But they didn't sound, in my opinion at least, from someone who's been listening to Nas religiously for a very long time, they did not sound that far off or that much more different than what he's rhymed over in the past. So when I see a whole bunch of people on the internet in particular going off about, oh my God, magic, magic is amazing. Ah, my opinion, I'm like, well, where was this energy for Godson? Where was this energy for Stillmatic? Where was this energy, you know, for all the other albums that were criticized for having bad beats and bad production? Because the beats on, on the magic series in particular, not all of them, but some of them don't sound that far off from what he's done in the past. Now, if we're talking the KD series, KD 1, 2, and 3, completely different animal. In my opinion, the KD side of things is where Nas really did have to challenge himself and tap into like a third and fourth gear that we may have known or not known that he had in his arsenal and his wheel bag. That's my personal opinion. But I definitely feel like the criticism of bad beat selection is a little out there. It's just a little out there for me. Now, there could be some bias on my end because like I said, I am a Nas fan. I mean, hell, I'm a Nas stan, let alone a fan. So maybe I have a different outlook on it. But if I can be as objective as I possibly can be, I would say that the argument has been a, a little bit overinflated. Um, and then when it comes to the magic side of things, I think those beats are, not all of them, but some of them are very similar in terms of the sound to what Nas has wrapped over in his 30 plus year career. So I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the placebo effect of him working with a current day producer that people are now like, Oh my God. Or if it's the quality of the songs in terms of the lyrical content, as well as the subject matter that have people thinking twice of how they view Nas. But nonetheless, I believe that, you know, when it comes to magic, the beats aren't that far off. Um, and going into that, me personally, I gravitated more towards King's Disease. To me, Magic, and I mean no disrespect to Nas and Hit Boy or anyone who is a fan of the Magic series, because there's a lot of fans of the Magic series. But to me, the Magic series sounds primarily just like bars, like mixtape bars. For me, it's the crowd of people who want to hear Nas spit mixtape bars. And that's fine. It's cool. If you just want to hear Nas wax poetic on a blank canvas and, and just listen to him dumb out and flip metaphors. Cool. That's great. But for me personally, with me listening to Nas as much as I listen to him, with him being 50 now, I don't care to hear just playing bars from him. I don't. And that goes for any other rapper within that age bracket, whether it's Jay-Z or Busta Rhymes or Jada Kiss or whomever. At this point, in the rap game, when you are basically a Hall of Famer in the rap game, I want to hear 
your stories and your tales and your experiences within said rap game and the music industry as a whole and what new experiences have come out since then. That's what I want to hear, which is why I gravitated so much to King's Disease. The first one, it was a refreshment because of that bullshit that Kanye gave us that forced Nas to rush his you know, uh, creative process, I guess, so to speak. But when King's Disease Part 1 came out, I was like, yo, this is nice. It's smooth. It's cool. It's it's his sound, but it, it feels a bit more invigorated. So I, I mess with it. It's cool. Like, if I had to, like, grade that album, I'd probably give it, like, you know, like a 7.5 out of 10. You know, 7.5 out of 10. Why not? And then KD2 comes out, what, like a year later, I think? And I'm just like, the first five or six tracks, I'm just like, okay, cool, cool. I we're maintaining the consistency of KD part one. But then when store run hits from that moment on, the album just enters a new stratosphere. I'm like, yo, production is on point. Nas is on point. This whole vibe is on point. So now I'm like, okay, this is, this album has much more replay value than King's disease part one. In my opinion, I would probably give that album maybe like a anywhere between like an eight to an eight and a half out of 10. And then KB3 comes out. KB3 grabbed me immediately. I'm like, yo. Like, after the first three records, I'm like, yo, this might be the best KD album out of the three. And it may be the best out of the Hip Boy collection. And once I was done listening to that album, I'm like, yep, it's the best. Not only is it the best out of the entirety of the collection, but for me, I can't speak for anyone else, but for me, this is top five in Nas' discography. Easy easy it's not even close and so for me i'm wondering like i said you know at the beginning of the segment i'm like yo how the hell do you top this there's no way you can top this and then it comes out with magic's part two and three and they're they're solid they're solid but they weren't topping kb3 so for nas to say that the journey with him and hit boys now come to an end six albums in three years i'm cool with it i'm cool with it I know Kanye a long time ago said, don't leave while you're hot. That's how May screwed up. Granted. But I feel like Nas and Hit Boy are at a point where it's like, what more can you do that you guys haven't already done before? Again, six albums in three years. You followed a specific type of concept with these albums. Unless if you have something else in the wheelhouse, what else can you really do? So if this is, in fact, the end of their partnership, at least for now, then damn, what a ride it was. Six albums together. Like, that was insane. And I feel like now a new trend is going to be set in hip-hop where you're going to see a lot of rappers um, take on the services of one producer. So maybe in the future, we may see Nas, or sorry, not Nas, we may see Drake only collaborate with Either, either 40 or or um or a boy wonder or we, we may see a project where jay-z will only rhyme alongside with uh of uh of no id for example or maybe we'll see a project where j cole will only do production with let's say ninth wonder for example i think j cole would sound nasty on ninth wonder beats in my personal opinion but yeah just throwing out some random names out there here and there all that to say that Nas and Hitboy not only did magic with one another pun heavily intended but I feel like they set a an old but new trend 
but it's something, but a trend that's going to be reinvigorated for the generations going forward. So, I would love to see them work with each other again in the future. Maybe not in like the near future. Maybe like five, ten years. Well, I don't even know if Nas will still be rapping in ten years. If I'm being completely honest, but you know, if 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 in five years they they they're like, hey, you know what? Let's just do it one more time for the people out there. Then I'm good with it. But if they don't ever again, and maybe once in a while they'll do a little one-two track here and there, I'm good with that as well. But the question remains, and I'll leave this to you guys actually, because I can't answer this question definitively. But my question to you all is this. With these albums that we've gotten from both Nas and Hitboy, does it elevate Nas in the GOAT discussion? Has he leapfrogged other artists in the GOAT discussion? Or is he firmly cemented in place wherever he's at in said discussion? I don't think he's gone down. I don't think he's gone down at all. I, I would strongly disagree that he's moved down a peg or two. But my question to you all is, has he elevated in the discussion of the greatest of all time? Or is he at where he's at and he's going to stay there forever? Share me your thoughts, questions, and concerns on that on all my socials. And I would love to hear your take on that. All right, y'all. We've been rapping for a minute now. We've been rapping for a minute now. But we are going to wrap up with this final topic that I've been waiting to get to for quite some time now. Let's talk about the biggest simp of them all. And that is Steve freaking Harvey. So... If you haven't already heard, his wife of, I don't know how many years at this point, who is the mother of Lori Harvey, the, the daughter, his adopted daughter, basically, who he gave her last name to, which I find hilarious now in the grand scheme of things, um, has cheated on him. And apparently she cheated on him with his chef and personal trainer. Now, I don't know when this happened. I don't know if this happened recently or if the news has just dropped recently, but the, the affair has been happening for several years, whatever the case may be. If it's a quote-unquote entanglement situation a la Will Smith and Jada. But nonetheless, he has cheated. Or sorry, she has cheated on him. And unlike the Will Smith situation, I don't feel sorry for this guy whatsoever. Let me tell you why. For years now, let's say the better part of a decade, ever since, what, 2012 maybe? This guy has been on talk shows, hell, on his own talk show, and just out here spreading this message about how men should pay for everything in a relationship. Men are the providers. They should pay. Women don't have to do a damn thing. They are the queens. They don't have to pay for anything at all. It should be the man's responsibility. Now, I know he's a southern country bumpkin, and I know they do things differently in the South. But let's get one thing straight. A relationship is a partnership. Okay? It is a partnership, meaning both people in the relationship have to work together to make things work. Whether it's just them two or they have children that they're raising. It is a partnership, meaning both people have to put in equal amounts of work as to how they want to make the relationship work. And especially with the times we're in right now in 2023, unless if you're in the 1%, you are not going to be able to maintain 
a partnership of any kind with one income, with one form of income coming into the house. It's just not going to happen. It's not working. It's just not working. The cost of living has gone exponentially high, especially during the, uh, sorry, not the recession, the uh, pandemic. And so it is unrealistic. It's laughably unrealistic to expect one person in the household to be making all the money. And it's especially unrealistic to expect a man to be pulling in over six figures. If you're pulling in over six figures, you're living a good life, but you're also part of the 1% at that point. And there's a reason why they call it the 1% because only 1% of people are making that kind of money. So it's virtually impossible and, and, and extremely arrogant of someone to expect and demand a person to be making that kind of money as well to say that they only date people who make that kind of money, especially when they're barely even making that kind of money at all or barely any money at all for that matter. And then the question will, will be asked, well, what do you bring to the table? And then of course, you know, some of these overzealous women, and I'm saying some, all right, again, let me be perfectly clear on that because not all women subscribe to this bullshittery, but there are some women who will be like, oh, well, I am the table. No, listen, you're not a table, all right? I did not meet you at Ikea or the brick. You are not a table. And even in the metaphorical sense of it all, you are not the table, okay? You are not, you're not, you're not, nah, nah, okay? So miss me with that bullshit because I can't stand it. And it, it, you know what it is? It's just like this this whole entire pandemic period, we've been heavily, heavily inundated with so many quote-unquote relationship gurus with the likes of Steve Harvey, the likes of Derek Jackson, the likes of Kevin Samuels, rest in peace, the likes of the cast and members of The View, or sorry, not The View, The the Real, but The View, they've, always, they've also discussed this bullshit before as well, as well as, you know, podcaster, podcasters like... Uh, see here's the thing and, and bloviating about what they expect in a man and it's just so it's just so annoying and i think the most annoying thing about it is that these are conversations that are fueled by black podcasters and black on-air media talents and then it, it just spreads and permeates throughout the rest of the of the pop culture sphere essentially and even when those talks have some somewhat died down it's still the black podcasters and the black content creators who are the ones who are still pushing and driving this narrative. And it makes me believe that it's only black people who are still trying to have this archaic, archaic conversation about who pays for what and what the dynamic should be between the men and the women. And it's so frustratingly annoying. Why are you guys still living as if, as if, as if the, as if the, the woman's suffrage movement hasn't taken place? Or how equal rights haven't been a thing for, for how many years now and are still currently a thing. It's so fucking annoying. Because on one end, you have your, your, your men like Steve Harvey who sip to the women who are 40, above 40 years old, who are single, miserable, and lonely. Okay? Now, you can be single and happy. And if you are single and happy, then my message is not directed to you at all. Because if you are happy being single, then live your life, sis. And I mean that wholeheartedly. But if you're single, miserable, and lonely, then I am definitely directing this message to you. People like Steve Harvey, Derek Jackson, they are selling you on a dream. Whether it's them, 
whether it's these southern country bumpkin rappers who talk about, let me take you out of here, I'll fly you out, blah, 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 blah. They are selling you a fantasy. And the reason why they're selling you a fantasy is because you will literally and figuratively buy into it. And when you buy into it, it means more subscriptions for them, more notoriety for them, and more engagement for them as well. But somewhere down the line, they will be exposed for the frauds that they are. Look at Derek Jackson. He cheated on his wife for so long with, with several different women. Okay. Look at Fresh and Fit. Because of the fact that they are spewing so much nonsense about what a man can provide and, and like what a man's role is and how he's more dominant over the woman, they are no longer allowed to broadcast their 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 things on on YouTube anymore. They got taken off of YouTube. The same thing happened with a, with a YouTuber known as Sneeko. Because of the content that he was putting out, he was banned off of YouTube for a certain amount of time. And then you look at now with Steve Harvey, the biggest simp of them all, and, and, and the biggest proprietor of them all, arguably, because he has a mainstream platform. Despite all his words of, oh, oh, you know, a man has to pay for everything, da 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 whatever. Even when you're still doing all of that, it still wasn't good enough because your woman cheated on you with your chef and with your personal trainer. The people that you employ, the same people that you employ with the money that you spend on her, she cheated on you. And I don't feel sorry for him, not only because of that, but because of the fact that it is known, it is public record that this man, Steve Harvey, has had a crush on this woman since like the early 90s when this girl was the friggin' backseat bitch driving uh, motorcycle wheeling girlfriend of a drug dealer. And for so long, he's been trying to get this woman. And since then, with every woman that he's been with, he's cheated on said woman with a mistress and the mistress ends up becoming the new woman until she until he cheats on her with another mistress and that woman becomes a new woman and then it all led back to this particular person i can't remember what that chick's name is by the way and i don't want to because she sounds like a bird but nonetheless it got back to her because at the end of the day by the time he became you know a well-known uh personality within the world of comedy by the time he became the host of family feud and by the time he put out a book, <laughs> you know, how to think like a man. By the time he put out a book that got turned into a movie. And by the time he started doing his own talk shows, that's when she deemed it acceptable enough for her to start dating him. So much so that he allowed her to adopt his daughter and to give her his last name. I sincerely doubt that he's even going to reverse that. Because he is still enamored with this woman for some dumbass reason. But again, I don't feel sorry for him. Why? Because he's a jackass who's been telling people lies for several years just so he could sell a book. Or just so he could uh, sell a few subscriptions on YouTube. Or just so he can get more eyes on whatever product that he has under his entertainment umbrella. Now, I don't knock the guy for what he's been able to amass over his... 30 plus years in the entertainment world. Good for him. 
But for all these false messages about how to treat your woman and everything in between, knowing that he has lived a love life of infidelity during this entire time that he's been preaching to the masses about what a woman deserves and how you should love a woman and buy her everything, you haven't the furthest clue of how to treat a woman. And if you did, you would be with the woman that you've still been with from day one. Or... If not, you would at least give her the decency and the honor to call it quits so that you guys can move on and move with the, move on with different partners going forward. But no, you didn't. You had a woman on the side, people found out, the side chick became the main chick, and so on and so forth as the story goes. So no, I don't feel sorry for Steve Harvey at all. If anything, that dude had it coming. I don't give a shit. So when it comes down to it, Steve Harvey, you played yourself. You knew this woman for the past 30 years and you knew that she was no good. And you still pursued her, knowing what would come with it. And you got cheated on by people within your own camp, no less. People that that rely on you for the paycheck. How do you feel about that? You're a clown. And anyone else like Steve Harvey, man or woman, is a clown. And if you're out here thinking that, you know, couples should revert to gender roles and stuff like that, then you guys are clowns too. I'm sorry that that's how I feel. Actually, no, fuck saying sorry. I'm not sorry for that at all. And I'm just so sick and tired that this particular topic is still a fixture within the black community. It's so fucking annoying. it's, It's annoying, especially for me, to see other races of people, whether it's white people, whether it's... Indian people or, or Asian people just specifically I'm just categorize whichever you you belong in white Asian Latino slash Latina um, Arabic Middle Eastern whatever the case may be other minority groups and just other groups in general within North America have a solid understanding of what it takes to maintain a relationship why because they view a relationship as a partnership Meaning that each partner takes, you know, equal take of, you know, what it takes to maintain said partnership. Not, oh, uh, I take, you give, and that's it. No, it doesn't work like that. So, far be it for me to say, I don't give a shit that this happened to Steve Harvey. And when I say I don't give a shit, I don't give a shit in the sense that I don't have any sympathy for him in this matter. He dug his own hole, now he gets to lie in it. And anyone who still still wants to follow his train of thought, if you want to fall on his sword as well, then that is on you. But don't come crying back and being like, oh, I'm going to do what to do. No, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. I don't care. I really don't care. I'm glad this happened to him. And I'm glad people witnessed this happening to him. Will it spark a change? I sincerely doubt it because... People essentially are creature of, are, are creatures of habit. And if there is something that benefits them in the long run, they're going to stick with it. So, so if it's women who want to play the role of want to, wanting to reap the benefits of both equality and patriarchy and shit like this happens to them, that's on them. I don't give a shit. Choose one or the other. If you want, if you want equality, then then keep that same energy. But if you want to live under the thumb of patriarchy because the dating perks are pretty nice, then stay under that thumb as well. Don't complain about 
about equal play or equal pay or anything like that because you chose patriarchy. And when it comes to equality, don't complain about about not having a man paying for every single one of your expenses because you chose equality. Keep that same energy. That is it. And for dudes out there, if you're gonna follow the playbooks of guys like of guys like Derek Jackson and Steve Harvey, then you probably deserve to get played at this point as well. That's how I feel. So those are my thoughts on Steve Harvey. What do y'all think about him? Is he the world's biggest simp? Is he worse than Will Smith at this point now? Either way, share me your thoughts and I'd be curious to know what you have to say on the matter. And that is all for today's episode, ladies and gents. Um, this was definitely a long one. Um, there are so many other topics I wanted to get to, man. Actually, let me just give you like a brief, brief rundown because I know we're running short on time right now. But let me just give you an idea of the other things I wanted to talk about. I was also thinking about discussing Tory Lanez, you know, the 10-year jail sentence. And I was also thinking about discussing, you know, the latest in the Jonathan Majors case as well. But we can save those for later episodes. But nonetheless, I want to thank y'all for tuning in like you've, like you've normally done. I appreciate you guys for, for being very patient uh, with my rate of posting. I know it's not as consistent as it used to be in years prior, but, you know, as, as we get older and stuff like that, we have more responsibilities to take on and things of that nature. So I will try my best to give you guys as much pod content as I possibly can. But until then, you can catch this pod on a later date on SoundCloud on Spotify, and on Google Play as well. Uh, so make sure you check it out on those platforms. And until the next time, you already know what it is. Uh, I am your host, DM Cool. And Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.